to the Thursday night meeting. I'm, uh, I'm doing a few of these, which I believe I'm going to call All the Crazy. <laughs> uh, in fact, if that's what the title is right now, then you're in luck. Uh, I'm recording these in a batch uh, here in late October. So here's one for you where I thought... I was reading this great book uh, by Yuval Noah Harari called Sapiens. Great book, very interesting, uh, about evolution, human history... And I had some interesting thoughts on the idea of certainty versus uncertainty and a core a complication, a philosophical hobby horse of mine over the years. And it's just an interesting uh, thought experiment about belief versus not belief versus being uncertain. This is interesting to me. And we will read uh, some really great texts uh, in and around this subject. Um, but if you have left, again, Jehovah's Witnesses or another religious group, sect, or something similar, what's interesting is the, I think, the back and forth between looking for a new belief system versus accepting when you don't have one or when to even call it like you know call the score of the game and say okay I, I don't give up but I don't have one I haven't found you know my replacement to the the one belief system why this is so interesting uh, for me personally when I was in my early 20s I feel like I went through a period of borderline schizophrenia, <laughs> belief schizophrenia, kind of jumping from uh, one version of events to another. And in a lot of workshops since and a lot of uh, getting to know people online and through the Reddit forum, it seems like I'm not the only one, even though everybody's, your mileage will vary. So everybody's experience is a little different in, in this regard. And I've certainly met people over the years uh, and they seemed pretty healthy-minded to me, um, who did, in fact, find their way back to um, a nominal version of Christianity or Judaism. Um, I've known folks who considered themselves practicing Buddhists. It seemed like they were pretty good to go there. I think that's, I think that's great. And there's not really a right or wrong here. I, for some people, you know, Christianity is exceptionally toxic after getting out of any sort of Bible-based uh, cult or sect. And so any trappings of Christianity 
uh, the terminology, being in a church, that's just that's just that's a non-starter, you know. Let alone uh, trying to find a home somewhere between, you know, a very kind of extreme or uh, literal Bible-based version of it versus maybe a more uh, liberal-minded version of Christianity. You know, for example, you know, accepting evolution and not believing that the Earth was created in. Uh, or the earth has been around for 6,000 years, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like that's that's what happened. It's normal to explore after your belief system is not there anymore. Um, and it's normal to be a little crazy doing this, putting on different hats and looking for what's next. I went through a period where I was intensely preoccupied with suffering, with looking into warfare, you know, <laughs> deep, dark shit, right? People being exterminated, genocides, ethnic cleansing, the communist revolution and how many people suffered and died in it. Horrible things. And I found myself in an odd place for a number of years where I was satisfied in a in a way between what might be called a rigid atheism what what might be thought of as just this complete rejection of anything that you know couldn't be proven scientifically anything that even like remotely resembled uh belief or spirituality. I had periods where it was like a, the switch flipped and I felt like that was the new identity in terms of my belief. And it, when it was there, I definitely felt very clear and it felt like decisions were easier to make. But an odd thing would always happen is that whenever I would be kind of very much in this mode it's almost as if another thing kicked in, and I'll call it the defense mechanism, the post-cult defense mechanism, or something related to um, the PTSD kind of reflex. Some prohibition about believing anything too strongly, or getting involved in anything too strongly, or accepting anything too firmly. What would inevitably happen is that I would return to a kind of blank middle space and it would happen over and over again and i branched out in a variety of ways uh into buddhism into philosophy and existential philosophy a lot of that has continued to have great meaning for me but the same pattern would continue is that there was some inner reflex which was looking for a box and I don't even mean a label necessarily, which is a little different, but a box in like the comforts, the security of, of a, a certain way, a certain set of precepts, a certain way of viewing the world, a, an inflexible way. But the upside, I guess, of that is that that itch would be scratched 
and I think when you do this, I think this is the attraction of, you might say cults, you might, oh, you might just say dogmatic thinking, black and white thinking, certainly in politics, is that that kind of thinking yields a, a clear sense of like mission, or maybe in the case of being an atheist, maybe not mission, but I mean, there can be a lot of things which like decisions which seem to flow from that. You know, like, for example, okay, there's there's no God, there's no anthropomorphized, you know, deity on the throne. Fair enough. We, we humans are, with the buck stops with us. So, you know, we'd better fucking clean up the planet. We had better make things right. We had better um, take care of the environment. Things like that. That seems, that seems pretty good, right? As as stated, that, that all sounds pretty fine and dandy. I think I think there there are exceptions to this where you know paradoxically a rigid ish way of looking at the world can yield you know concise action. I might almost draw a parallel not at quite apples to apples but between a, a democratic style of government um, versus a authoritarian regime. You know in an authoritarian regime uh, a friend brought this to my attention, uh, some countries, even a couple of countries in Africa, where if if they want something done, like say like building a bridge or some infrastructure, it like it happens that the party makes the decision. It, 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 it occurs. In a democratic regime, I would argue that the 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 flexibility is an ultimately better and more ethical situation. But. It comes with an interesting problem, is that decision by committee, by voting, by people paying to join gangs known as political parties where we are, you know, sort of endlessly debating about what to do and whose rights are more important than whose other rights and so forth. That is time consuming. That's like messy. It's a weird thing. It's it's better. I would argue to my dying breath it is better in many ways but it doesn't always mean that it's easier or more focused or yields to more sort of like you know know-it-all answers we're doing xyz we're building this bridge we're going to war we are uh enslaving these women and children <laughs> whatever so the, forgive forgive that example but whatever the case may be there is something about certainty uh and rigidity which almost paradoxically is satisfying but one of the, some of the texts that we'll read here uh will do a better job of clarifying what are just my initial thoughts on this that economists i sometimes view things as a i've read a local versus a global optimum a local optimum may be a set of conditions in which a nominally uh, best result can occur. And you might be fooled into thinking that that's the best that there is. But actually, the example goes that breaking down those or destroying the bedrock of that, while it might, it might seem crazy because you're destroying the local optimum, you are instead paving the way for the global optimum or an even better, an even higher height but to do that, the local thing, 
you know, uh, has to has to give way to the broader outcome, the broader set of possibilities in which even more can be done or achieved. This is almost how I view belief versus certainty and uncertainty. It's not a question of not having your beliefs. I have mine. I've had spiritual experiences. I, I actively participate in meditations, mental otomy. But at a certain point, I stopped looking for a replacement uh, drug, frankly, a replacement like antidote, a replacement satisfaction to uh, the box, the box of, for me, Jehovah Witness belief, the great crowd, the new system of things, the 144,000 not celebrating holidays, the whole set of criteria and doctrines and the whole kid and caboodle. That it's, for the most part, rigidly uh, proscribed. And if you don't follow it, or you don't follow certain things the right way, you can be kicked out. There's all of the set of parameters and stuff there. Instead, to leave something to leave something rigid behind is... It's almost like the thing that gets glossed over from even smart and well-meaning people and some therapists is that what is missing is the informational container... I apologize if you're watching on Spotify that I've made these George Bush-like hand gestures uh, over and over again. But the the it's not just that there's a mess emotionally <laughs> and looking for what do I do now, but the struggle to find an informational container and box, boy, it's just a set of messes that are like, they're like interlocking mess somehow. What I, I think I've, over the years, drifted into and what I feel certain about uh, in, a, in a weird way is uncertainty. A couple things on this. It doesn't necessarily mean not having perspectives, not having preferences. It does not mean not having beliefs. I consider myself politically, as you'll find out, uh, I'm center-left, kind of. I've been part of libertarian causes. Um, I don't really like having a label. In fact, I feel much freer not having a political label myself personally. Um, but I have my leanings. They're subject to change. They have changed. They'll probably continue to change a little bit. I've had spirit, some spiritual experiences, what I feel are spiritual experiences. Um, at times there is still a, like a, a nostalgia for what I described earlier, which is like the focus of something which is more rigid. But you know what? Rigid as a local optimum, not a global optimum, rigid sucks. It, it sucks. It actually deprives your life. Whereas some balance between what you believe, even if it's, even if it's a strong faith, even if it's faith in God or higher power or however you define that, that may well be it. But I would almost say a healthy balance there between faith and uncertainty, tolerating risk, being in that space, life is more exciting there. It's more exciting. At times of grief or panic, this seems like well, who cares about things being exciting? Don't give a fuck about that. I don't want exciting. 
I want certain. I want relief. But if I told you that relief, anxiety relief, depression relief, dealing with grief, those are all things that on a given day, at a given moment, in a given therapist office, with a friend, maybe with a religious leader, if that's what if that is what makes sense for you, in a doctor's office, there's a there's about a million ways now to encounter that feeling, that experience, without putting yourself back into a box, which robs your life, robs you of the global optimum, which is accepting risk, embracing, in a sense, risk. Life can be very exciting <laughs> on those terms. I liken it, I've likened it over the years. I realize also what I'm saying to some of you, if you're still listening, is maybe somewhat cliche. It is. I enjoy a good cliche, so sue me. I have to relate this back to sports in a way. You know, pick any sport, but say football. You know, the possibility your team gets to the Super Bowl, okay, and loses. Well, that sucks. That's not, not the result that we wanted. But if the result was known in advance, your team wins 60 to nothing. I mean, maybe you'd still be happy. But you'd be robbed of the, the joy, as it were, of the experience. The experience inherently contains risk. The other team is trying too. So, I mean, you want your team to win. You're thrilled when your team does win. There's probably a lot of psychological reasons why it's more thrilling if it's a close, competitive victory versus, you know, 60, a landslide. There are, there are good reasons for that. I could think of a few right now. But just the point is that the fact that, like, winning and losing go together. They, they're yin and yang, right? They, they, they involve one another. You know, if it's 100% guaranteed that your team is going to win, it's not close. Again, you might, maybe you're the kind of person you're wired that you'd still be happy. I'd probably be still be happy, I guess. But part of the experience is the unknown. The unknown is the core part of the experience. I want the team to win, but it's possible they might lose. Maybe it's 50-50. They're the underdog, then they, they may very well lose. It's even more exciting than if they win. I'm not suggesting that this applies to every scenario of life um, or to life and death situations. Uh, but as a category, as a way of approaching things, and as a way of like being okay with failure and or the process of rebuilding your life. Maybe you're newly out of this experience, or maybe you're like me, uh, kind of many years out. There's some place here between having beliefs which are yours. They don't have to be everybody's beliefs. They don't have to be conversion for other people. They can just be yours, and that's awesome. And that is hard in a way to get to. But having your cake and eating it too here, I think means feeling secure in a sense with what you come to believe or your perspectives maybe, but also accepting 
uncertainty. I'll even go another step further. I think there is even a way to live which is very satisfying, very meaningful, which involves less about beliefs, meta-beliefs. It's much more about adventure and being in the moment, doing for others. There's, there's a great energy there. There's a great quote from Maya Angelou on a poster on my wall I've had since college, which says, Life is pure adventure. The sooner we're able to realize that, the sooner we're able to treat life as art. There's something I like about that quote. Life is pure adventure. I've definitely known people over the years, I can't say this is 100% myself, but where it's like belief itself has really receded to the background of needs. And and something is can just be getting out of your head into your body and living vicariously, living, working, maybe something in the community for something for others, but there's there's a there's a a way of life there which which is generative and good and which almost like eschews the problem of oh my god, what's my new belief system? How do I know it for sure? I had a period going back to my schizophrenic period where I I felt like I would have periods where I tried to figure out life in this insane way, like a 17th century philosopher, I would pace the room. I would think about life, death. Okay. There's, there's no afterlife. Then is there any meaning? You know, if I have kids and they all die before me, was that pointless? What's the point of things? How do I have any meaning if there is no God, but, I, but there might be, but I'm not sure. I, I would, I would have thinking sessions like a mad scientist. I don't remember what the result of all those were, except that, well, there is no result, except that there would be momentary conclusions and relief, but it was, I was really a crazy person. I was, I was demented. And I, there's, sometimes these would go on for hours. I blame my philosophy teacher, I guess, but I was trying so desperately. I would, ha I would, there were moments of panic and there were moments of like despair where escaping into these like thought ruminations and trying to like, you know, make my new belief system, to decide it, to put a stamp on it. It, it. it never happened. There would be momentary relief, maybe maybe it, through these this process, but it would disappear quickly. I would return just back into this, but I'm not sure if I can trust that. And so really, in a way, as a starting place, and that's all this particular episode is, but I'm pretty sure as a starting place, the question is not, how do we replace the belief system. The question is, how do we encounter that there is no belief system? How do we encounter the unknown here, the uncertain? How do we accept that? And then if you're feeling right at this moment, like, oh my God, but, wait, but then what? What's the fallout there? Well, that's what we're going to get into. <laughs> but needless to say, there's a lot after that. And again, it doesn't mean not having beliefs or you, you might, if you're a religious person, even after JWs or similar group, 
you know, this might both apply and not apply. But still, I would still say even that considering yourself a person of faith, arguably in an authentic way, still means encountering this, this very basic human problem of, but I don't know. I might have faith, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't know in the way that a cult provides knowing, provides the bedrock, the, the bedrock of certainty probably don't have that. And so is it a question of reestablishing that or is it a question of deeply and authentically encountering the lack of that and then hanging out there a little bit and saying, but what's next? Can I live? Not just live. Can I be so excited? Can I wake up and be like, what am I doing today? Excited for what you are doing in your life and what's next for you, who you're becoming, can be very exciting at any age, at any stage of life. But for that switch to flip, you'll hear me say this a lot, a deep personal belief of mine, perspective. There is something more powerful about the encounter, whatever the thing is, the emotion or the stuckness or the lack of emotion, the lack of affect, the muck, the nothing, whatever the thing is there, sort of in your in your mind's eye, in the theater of your of your mind, that space, whatever the thing is there, encountering that thing is more important than washing over it or sticking something else there. It's as a first principles question. Get into that thing, exposing that thing, then go from there. We often do the other way around. And when we are anxious, when we're panicking, when we're in despair, uh, especially like post-religious despair, life has no meaning. There's a war in Israel and Gaza. There was the Holocaust. My pet goldfish just died. What's happening to my pet goldfish? Is it an eternal goldfish? Will I see my goldfish in another life? Well, these, these are the questions. We will talk about some of these questions here. But the, all of those questions are periphery in a way to this first. This is, you'll hear me say this a lot, especially around concepts of grief and meaning. The encounter first with what's there or what's not there is the starting place, including about questions of tragedy, life and death, meaning. Incredible energy is released when you first get to the bedrock of the thing, the place where you're stuck at. Okay, so I hope you're finding this interesting. Early days here. (laughs) Recording these in a batch. I'm not even sure when this one's coming out. Um, But... We're going to read some great pieces and authors, uh, diverse thinkers in and around these issues as we explore, again, the aftermath of extreme fundamentalist religious thinking. It's all about that aftermath and what you do with it and the possibilities in your life afterwards. I'm Wesley David. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Thursday night meeting, and we're going to keep it going. So we'll see you uh, next week. Have a great night. Have a great night.